I so appreciate the worship team leading us. That is, that is something that is, um, you know, Christian communities and Jewish communities have been praising God like that since the beginning. And really, we pattern our services after what the Jews did in, the, in, their, in their services in the first century. It's the same type of thing that they did that we do. And uh, it's, it's just something that connects us to God in a very special human way that is deeply, deeply spiritual. I just appreciate them doing that. I wanted to mention one other announcement. Pastor mentioned uh, some announcements. I wanted to mention one more, and that is something that is close to my heart, and that is outreach. I know that um, in here on Wednesdays, we've talked a little bit about outreach. I was so impressed with Pastor maybe a year ago when he brought a, uh, it wasn't a Mini Cooper. What was that little, oh, the little uh, unsmart car, right? The unsmart, I can't imagine being driving one of those and on the freeway, I'd be so afraid. But he brought that car in here, and the whole point was, if you can't go across the street, maybe you can jump in this car and go across the street and uh, share Christ with somebody. Now, we know that as a church, uh, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, that, that one of the things that we struggle with as Christians the most is evangelism and outreach. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Maybe we feel like it's someone else's job, or we're not especially gifted for it. But one thing that we would like to do as a church, as Crown Point Church, is to, to create and, and form opportunities for us as a body of Christ to do outreach in some different and creative ways. Now, I know the church has done some large events as outreach where we have done car shows and Red Friday and hero services, and those are all wonderful things, and we'd like to continue with that. But I'd also like to get some of your ideas. Maybe you've seen something at another church, or maybe you've had an idea God's dropped in your heart that you think might be good outreach. I know one thing, uh, one of Nicole's cousins, they visited a church a couple years ago. And so they visited the church, they filled out the visitor form, and then by the time they got home, it was kind of wintertime. When they got home, on their doorstep already was a mug with some cocoa, and I don't know what all else was in there, some popcorn, and you know all this stuff, and a, and a welcome from the church. They were blown away. Guess what? They went to that church until they moved. And I don't know if it had everything to do with the cocoa and the mug, but what it said was the church cared enough to follow up with those visitors right then and there. And that's just another idea. I mean, I, I, what I would like to do is on Sunday, and I know we're all busy and we have the security training on Saturday, but hopefully this helps if we provide lunch for you. And then if you are in, would be interested in just sharing some ideas, it'll be a brainstorming session. So all ideas are open on the table. And we, wanna, we just want to see what, what ideas you have out there for reaching the community. Because I think they're tremendous things. You know, one thing I think is a phenomenal idea, and I'm just going to share this because it was, a, it was such a cool idea. But Jenny Crawford does a mom's, kind of a mom's timeout, kind of a mom's uh, meeting here and, and a playtime. And what she did was she had been inviting this, this one mom friend of hers whose daughter is friends with one of her daughters. And then what happened was when, when we had the uh, mother-daughter luau with Impact, Jamie created that thing and Kay and the Paulsons hosted it. Uh, I don't know if you're aware that she brought that friend and her husband came. Yes, he did. Cause he was twice my size. He's a big dude, big muscly dude. And uh, yeah, he beat me out in the cannonball contest, but <clears throat> I didn't know who he was. I figured he was just cause I'm newer. So I figured he was part of the church and he didn't know me cause I was new. So I just introduced myself, got to talking to him and found out he'd never been to crown point church. But guess what? As we talked, he was real curious, and I, I expect to see him here someday. And, and there were reasons, you know, their kids couldn't come because they've got kids with different people, and their kids aren't here. Or they don't have their kids on Wednesday, but he was so excited about what was going on, and he was interested. So think about how that. That is even outreach. 
That mom's thing that, that Jenny does is an incredible outreach at a really targeted you know, group of people who need that. And then we got to meet him at a pool party. I just think that was amazing how, how that worked out. And that is outreach. And maybe that's not classic Billy Graham you know, crusade outreach, but it works. And I love that. I think it's almost, almost more you know, legitimate sometimes. It's just an incredible outreach opportunity. So if you're interested in that Sunday, this Sunday, right after the service, we'll meet in the NPR for lunch and just some brainstorming. Well, tonight, I am excited about uh, what we're talking about tonight because it's been on my heart for a while. It's been something that's been, I think there's times that God drops things in our hearts and it just kind of ruminates, but it's not ready. And uh, this, this is kind of something that I've been thinking about a lot. And the kingdom of God is a concept in scripture that you may have heard of a lot. And I want to break this down, kind of parse the word down at first so we can kind of be on the same page before we talk about how this affects us each individually so not to be too simplistic, but if we could break this word down, this kingdom of God idea, and break it down a little bit, we're talking about the kingdom of God, which if we could, if, if we could break it down, kingdom, just kind of parse the words apart, it's really the domain of the king. And I know that we've all seen movies of kings, and probably all of us are familiar with, uh, you know, English kings, you know, America's got a, obviously a strong heritage there, we kicked King George out, and and we wanted something different than all that. And probably you've seen movies or maybe you've seen this depicted where somebody will ride into town and say, this is now the property of the king. And maybe they'll plant a flag or maybe that person will be wearing certain colors. And the idea is then that that king, his domain has now spread to that area. And everybody in that area then is supposed to be subservient and submissive to that king or whatever that means. And that's happened throughout time with almost every people group, whether it was the Huns or the... or. Uh, It could be anybody in South America, Central America, that kind of a concept. I pulled this picture off the web, though, because it reminded me maybe of, I don't know, social studies in high school or something or junior high. But if you look at this picture, this kind of depicts the castle with the serfs. See how they're working there in the domain of the king. And the idea was that they would serve and they would do the crops, but everything was belonged to the king. And then they would get a portion if they were faithful servants. And as they were servants, you know, they would support the kingdom. And as they supported the kingdom, everybody was supported. And then if protection was needed, maybe a rival king would come, that the king would send his forces out and protect them and that they would come into the the castle for protection. See how that works? That's kind of the idea when scripture starts talking about kingdoms and kings. Now, what you may not know or may not have thought of is that um, this, this really does have some spiritual implications and when we, we kind of throw these terms out a lot, you know, kingdom, king, and he's king of kings. And, and all those terms, I, th- I think as Christians, we become almost so familiar with them that they become powerless. And maybe a little, they, they drop some of the meaning and some of the import and the impact and the, the really heaviness of what was meant. And I think part of the reason that is because we're good Americans. We don't have kings. We don't believe in that. We have a decentralized government, ideally. And people have individual choices and make individual, they're responsible for their individual choices. But, but that is a totally different idea if you travel abroad. I've had the opportunity a few times to do some ministry with, with, with people who are English. And it's so different when you talk to them. They really think that there's something innate in, in royalty. It's, it's, it's part of how they're, they're raised. Now, of course, that's changing quite a bit now, and there's been a lot of calls to disband the, the monarchy in England. And, and just recently with the recent wedding, they were talking about, well, maybe we should send them and let them be kings of Canada. Have you heard that? 
It's kind of funny. And then when they got to Canada, they kind of protested against them. But with all that said, there is something different about being an American. I think it's difficult for us to really, really understand this concept in its fullness because we don't have kings. We don't have someone that lords over us and a master per se. We don't, we don't naturally think that some people are, are, are destined to be rulers over us. We believe that as Americans, that anybody can rise to a level of authority, depending on whatever gifts, different gifts God has given them. And if they work hard enough, then they can achieve. It's just a different mindset. And what you need to understand is when, when, when the scriptures were written, they were surrounded by monarchies and, and despots and people who controlled things. And, and really, they, they were surrounded by a world which is really the normal course of things in humanity where might makes right. And that's who controls everything. With that thought in mind, let's talk about that for a minute. If you're a king and you're going to have dominion over people, what does that mean? Well, dominion is basically influence. Now, I'm going to take this for just a second. I want to talk for a minute about levels. Oh, oh, first of all, let's talk about free will. I I apologize. Because the difference in Christianity is, this is not something that is forced on us. The difference is, in Christianity, it's free will. We choose to belong to the kingdom in Christianity. Do you see the difference? In the world's way of, of thinking, it's might makes right and fort, might makes right and force takes over and you are going to submit. In Christianity, it's a totally different concept. In Christianity, it's your choice. You choose to belong to the kingdom. So, so not only do you choose to belong to the kingdom, since it's all voluntary, sometimes we have to step back and say, okay, I said I was part of the kingdom, so am I really part of the kingdom? Am I letting the domain of the king show on me? Does it really look like I'm part of this kingdom? So let's talk about influence. How does it really work? How does he influence us? And I think that these influences and and what I'm going to try to do tonight, this is what I'm going to talk about five different levels of influence. Pastor and myself and and Pastor Nick were at a conference where we talked about, talked about these level of influence in a, in a pastoral sense. What I would like to do, though, is I'd like you to translate these levels of influence to maybe the influence that God might have over you. And if you're a part of God's kingdom and if his domain stretches over you, if you're one of the ones that, that represent him and you could go into another place and take his domain there with you. And if that is you, let's take a look at what these levels of influence might look like. So, so the first basic level of influence, which is probably the least effective but you see it a lot, is a positional, title-based level of influence. We're all familiar with this, aren't you? We've probably experienced it when we're supposed to be responsible for younger kids. And we say, hey, listen to me. I'm the dad, or I'm the boss, or I'm the teacher, right? And we know how hollow that sounds today. Because it really doesn't mean anything. Because all, the only reason people are going to give you that influence is based on your title. It's not something you've necessarily earned in their eyes. And they don't know who you are. I remember seeing this as a military kid all the time because you would have, my dad was an officer, but the difference with my dad being an officer is he had, he had started as an, as an airman recruit and worked his way up through the, through the enlisted ranks to an officer. So I, I could not tell you how many chiefs and how many, how many first class ensigns and different people would say, your dad's different because he was one of us. So his title wasn't something he got because he went to college and all of a sudden he's an officer and he's 20 you know, five years old and an officer. He's somebody who's been where they've been and he earned it. Do you see the difference in title? Just the title doesn't mean anything, but that would be the first level of influence. And think of it from this perspective. A lot of times when people criticize Christianity, what do they know about it? 
What do they know about this king that we all submit to? They know nothing. All they know is a title. It's, it's God. What does that mean to them? It means nothing. It's just a title, a position. The next level might be something like this, where, it, where it, it's, it's more in-depth, it's permission-based, and it's based more on relationship. Social scientists say that to, to achieve even the second level of relationship can take anywhere, anywhere up to five years. And maybe you've experienced this yourself. Maybe you've worked in a company, and at first you thought, uh, I'm not sure if I really respect these people above me. Do they really know what they're doing? And then after a while, you stop thinking that. Why? Because you've experienced some time, and the relationship has shown you that they are worthy of your trust and your respect. Think about that in terms of Christianity. How long have you been in the kingdom? Have you been in the kingdom long enough to understand what that means? Because even in scripture, it tells us that, you know, you shouldn't put someone in leadership right away because as a young Christian, they may not be mature enough to handle that. Let's look at another level. Results-oriented influence. Because at a certain point, you start to produce things. And if you can produce things, people give you a certain measure of respect. Isn't that true? And you see that, you can see that on your job. You see that all over the place. People get respect because they've done something and achieved something, not based on a title. And, so, and, and eventually relationship helps, but then even better is when it's results-based. The next level would be even further beyond that, where you're actually developing things and then you, you are becoming the leader under this other leader, where their leadership is now growing on and into you. Do you see any spiritual connections to this? Where you, under the king's domain, not only are you representing him, but then everywhere you go, you take that domain of the king with you. And you actually start to affect things. So that if you were to wade deep into this crowd, and there's Mark Massey right there, he's going to influence all those people around him. So now that area right there is part of God's domain because Mark is there. See how that works? And that takes time. This next level is an interesting level because... It actually means that you've, you've reached this personhood level of influence with people where your word is the truth. They don't question it because they know you. They don't question it because they've walked with you all these days. They don't question it because you've invested so much in their life that you can look back at points in your life that, that almost become touchstones for you. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, they would build an altar when something significant happened or God spoke. And we have those types of things in our lives. They call them touchstones where you might think back of a turning, at a turning point in your life. Maybe somebody said something. It was one statement that maybe I've done this before. There's this one guy. He, he said something to me that literally changed the direction of my life. And years later, I went back and I thanked him for it. And he says, I said that? <laughs> and I felt so silly and insignificant. But the truth is... His statement, I will never forget. I can even now, as I'm mentioning it, I can remember the room. I remember what was on the walls because when he said it, it reoriented my life. And we have those moments. And when you have that kind of influence on people or when God has that type of influence on us, then you are part of the kingdom. And the kingdom's, the king's domain has stretched over you and you are part of that. When, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God spreading and then he expects us to do that, that's kind of that fourth stage where we're going to represent that to the world. We are going to take that kingdom out into the world. Another way that kingdom and the kingdom of God is represented in scripture, in fact, probably the most often represented, now I started with kingdom because that's a term we're more familiar with, 
But this next term, it, it, it can almost be a little intimidating, but it's lordship. This is interesting to me. Um, in the scripture, it's one of the central messages of scripture. Lordship, let's look at, look at Acts 2.26. So let everyone in Israel know that for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So the spiritual fulfillment of what Israel was waiting for, but also Lord. What that meant was he is both a physical, um, social king, and he's also spiritual king. Two different things. So what does all this mean? Let me, let me just lay it out for you. There's, you know, you, you may have heard this when you were going to school that somebody said that if the teacher repeats it, it's important you should write it down. Or if they write it on the wall, that's going to be on the test. Remember that? The term or the word Lord in scripture is used 92 times alone in the book of Acts. But in the New Testament, that term is used 747 times. Jesus is, is only referred to as Savior two times in Acts and 24 times in the New Testament. Why such a disparity? 747 verses 24. Yet we hear so much about Savior, and Savior obviously is the point of Scripture, correct? But why, why would they mention him as Lord so many hundreds of times more? Maybe that something says something more about us. You think about that for a minute? Because we don't, we don't naturally want someone to be Lord over us. Most people don't. Most people have this independent streak where we don't want to submit as, to someone as Lord. Savior's one thing. If he's going to help me out, cool, I'm down with that. But then if I have to submit and do what he says, oh, wait a minute, totally different thing now. Maybe it's significant then that, that Scripture mentions it in the New Testament 747 times compared to 24 times for Savior. Lord, Lord means master. I don't know about you, but I'm not real comfortable with that term. I think of horrible things. I think of slavery. I think of people in bondage. And yet this word is the word that they use. Why would they use that? He used it because it's a meaningful, significant word picture for us to understand the proper relationship between us and God. And if, if we don't like it, there's a reason for that. It's because we're human. It's because we're sons of Adam. And we want to do what we want to do. And we want to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. And most of us don't want to be confined by anybody's rules, even God's. And there's times where we need to be reminded that there is a lordship issue that we have and he's the boss and we're not. <laughs> Nicole's been saying that to our kids lately. Um, you're not the boss. <laughs> I just laugh when I hear that because I think, oh, that is so true. We often need to be reminded about that with our own life. So let's talk about lordship for a few minutes. I mentioned a minute ago, lordship and salvation. They come hand in hand. They come together. We often want to separate them or only want to go with the salvation part. But the truth is, they go hand in hand. They go together. And if you don't have both of them, unfortunately, I'm going to have to be honest with you and say that you probably have neither. Because it really does involve this submission piece. Let me, I'm going to make some statements that I know are uncomfortable and, and are very uh, probably unpopular in our world today. But I want you to hear them and I want you to know it's the truth. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. 
Jesus didn't come to bargain with you. He didn't come to say, here, take about five tenths of me and I'll take the rest. It's not like that. It really is an all or nothing proposition with him. But most people aren't comfortable with that. Most people want to bargain and take a little bit here or there or keep a little bit for themselves or do just what they want when it's convenient or when it's, when it's saving them, but they don't want the whole deal. But that's not how Jesus comes to us. We don't really have the option of receiving him as savior and then not as Lord. Look at, look at uh, this verse in uh, Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Look what comes first. Actually, being saved, the lordship issue is a component of actually being saved. Let me say it another way, and this is more direct and harsh. If he's not Lord, you're not saved. I'm sorry, but that really is true. Because if he's not Lord, that means you're not, you're not existing in his kingdom. You're not doing what, he, what it takes to be part of his kingdom. You're, it's, it's just that, that's just the truth. Now, this is not for you to be saying right now. I know it's tempting maybe, but to say, hmm, well, then that's true. Then, hmm, I know so-and-so, and they are not saved. <laughs> it's about us. It's not about them tonight. Let's think about us and just look inside for a few minutes. <clears throat> if I could say this. I think it would be fair to say that lordship comes with a price. And and I know that the price seems obvious. Submission, giving up your own will, not getting what you want all the time, right? Maybe, Maybe forgiving somebody who's unforgivable or doesn't deserve it. You know, there's a... There's an author and radio commentator and guy I listen to. I, love, I, I don't hear him as often as I'd like. His name is Dennis Prager. Has anybody ever heard of him? Any read any of his books? Phenomenal philosopher. He's actually trained as a rabbi, but he's a, he's a very conservative rabbi, but he's not a rabbi. But um, he's a Jew. He's not a Christian. And as I've listened to him over the years, there's a couple areas where it's been really interesting to hear somebody who I agree with on so many things. He loves Christianity, loves evangelical Christianity, will say blatantly that, the, that Christianity has saved Judaism, literally. I mean, great guy to listen to. But some of the things he points out are very, very interesting in the differences between the way Judaism thinks and then the way Jesus changed things, for instance, with the Sermon on the Mount and, and changed the way we think about things. One of the things is this, and I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but I didn't go into detail about it. But one of the things is this, in Jewish mindset, it's not sin unless you actually act on it. So you can think whatever you want. You can be a racist, you can be a misogynist, you can be all these evil things. But as long as you don't walk and step on it and do it, then it's not sin. Where Jesus said, if we sin, sin starts in the heart and in the mind. And if you think it in your heart, you have sinned. See the difference there? So for them, I don't want to go into too much detail there, but it's, it's a different way of looking at things. So when I say that lordship comes with the price, a lot of times we may think that the price is a negative thing because we've been talking about the negative elements. Let's think for a minute, though, about some of the positive elements. Do you realize that lordship comes with positive elements? Do you realize there's benefits to being part of the kingdom? So far, I've been making it sound like a negative thing, but I did that on purpose because I think that's our natural way to think. But the truth is, it's, it's similar to this. You know, you may have your child and you may put them in the front yard and say, play in this wonderful yard, but don't go past the fence. And they'll say, oh, this is so mean, the lordship of this parent. <laughs> and 
they're restricting all my fun. But that's not true, right? Anybody ever get a fish like at a fair? I remember when I was a kid in the Philippines, they had this, this uh, little fair and I had a ping pong ball and threw it and it landed right in the bowl floating in the water. And I brought home a goldfish. And I remember my mom put it in a bowl, but we didn't have a goldfish bowl. We just had a bowl. So we put it in the bowl on the counter. And guess where that fish was the next morning? Well, it ended up under my mom's foot is where, where it ended up because it had jumped out and was on the floor all night. And I've often thought about that fish. I have. I'm weird, but it was my fish. I've thought about that fish a lot. I, I know what went through his mind. This is what happened. The fish was swimming around because, you know, previously he had been in this huge tank, had a lot of freedom. But when he got to my house, he was in this bowl and he was confined. And he hated the lordship of this bowl. And what he did was he kept bumping into the sides of the bowl and he wanted to be free. He knew that there was better life for him if he could just get over the edge of that bowl. If the rules imposed on him by this kingdom of the bowl weren't there, he could enjoy life better right? He could do what he wanted. He could stay out as late as he wanted. He could indulge in whatever vices he wanted, right? So here's what he did. Tattoos. Who said tattoos? Oh, of course. So here's what he did. He thought, I'm going to be free of this lordship that's holding me back and keeping me from having all the fun I want to have. So I'm sure he got down really low in the bowl and swam as fast as he could. And as, as he was edging up over the edge, he probably saw all the freedom there. He saw the countertops, he saw the floor, he saw everything. And I'm sure it was so fun and free for him as he was going down, 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 and down. And then when he slapped on the floor, that was probably the first time he thought, wait a minute, maybe that lordship wasn't so bad. And then as he flopped around, you know, suffocating, and he didn't have any water anymore, and he started to dry up and stick on the floor, I wonder if then he realized that what I thought was so mean and evil wasn't even mean and evil at all. Instead, it was there for my good. And that that lordship and that kingdom that was there that I looked at as a restriction on my fun and my freedom was actually something that allowed me to really enjoy life. Take a look at this verse and think about this in context of lordship and freedom. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Doesn't that seem like a paradox? Let's stop right there for a second. Did God just say he wanted you to experience sorrow? Yes, he does. He wants you to realize that what we've done is wrong and we're living in in violation of his law, but not because he just wants us sad. That's not it. The reason is because he wants us to experience, that experience will lead us away from sin and result in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, does result in spiritual death. Do you see the, did you offend her and now she's leaving? I'm just kidding. I did, again? So here's the thing. Many times we look at this kingdom of God and and the lordship issue could, could be viewed as a negative, but instead look at the positives. Look at the things that living for Christ provides us. Look at the things that, the freedom that we enjoy in Christ. It's almost like we're awake and and fully alive for the first time. I actually got some clips. Anybody see that movie, The Matrix? The very first one. I'm not endorsing the movie. Really, that's it? No one else saw that? Oh, okay. Parts of it. 
I actually had some clips, but then I decided not to show them to you because I didn't want to offend anybody. But, but think about this for a minute. For the first time, you could be fully alive and experience life as it really is instead of shielded and clouded by the way we think. And if our minds were free to really experience real life and understand what freedom that, that the Lordship of God gives us, what a, what a great thing. And why wouldn't you want to spread that around and show people what it was like? Do you realize when the early church spread, and it spread like wildfire, so big that it appears in Roman annals saying, what is this thing happening? This new religion where they, they're incestuous, they call each other brother and sister, and they, they marry brothers and sisters, that's right. And they also are cannibalistic because they eat the Lord's body. They had no idea what was going on. These people had no power, they had no position. What was it that spread that kingdom of God in that time? They didn't have any TV. They didn't have fancy videos. They didn't have a beautiful building to sit in. They didn't have any of that. What did they have? What they had was a relationship that freed them to be fully alive. And they were no longer bound to the sin that brought sorrow and resulted in spiritual death anymore. What, what they had was they could, they could literally, their neighbors would look at them and say, man, all this drinking and carousing and on and on that we're doing, you're not doing it, but you're happy and I'm not. I'm tormented and sick and you're happy. How can this be? And they said, well, let me share with you the good news about the kingdom. And when you join this kingdom, you're no longer bound to do those things. Sin doesn't rule over you anymore and cause you the pain and sorrow that it's causing you right now. So yes, lordship comes with a price, but it's a great price. It's a price that people would be willing to pay if they only knew how good it was. It's sad, really, because so often, you know, we live in a world where people want instant gratification. And it's unfortunate because in so many cases, we're willing to trade the best thing that God has for us for something immediate that will satisfy our needs right now. And we see that all the time. It's as if we're willing to accept the good and forsake the great and not the other way around. And if we only realize that if we would submit to him now, that later the joy and the ultimate freedom would be amazing. So let's take a minute and, and look at this. There's a few elements I would just want to touch on. Lordship demands obedience. Now that you know how good it is, it does demand obedience. Take a look at this verse. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? It's out of the New Living Translation. I added the so because I thought it was funny. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? It is, it is ouch, isn't it? It's a little uncomfortable. Because you're supposed to be under the God's kingdom, and yet we don't do it, what he says. It, he demands obedience. Anyone who claims Christ as their Lord should have more than just an intellectual faith. It should be a faith that, that shows itself in behavior, in attitude. It should be obvious. Not only that, but lordship is a continuous walk. It's a continuous walk. It's not something that happens just for a moment, but it's a continuous walk. I think I skipped something. I did not. It demands obedience. Let me, let me mention something about this. This verse right here out of Luke, there, there's a similar... You know, Luke, Luke has this, and also it's in Matthew. But in Luke right here, did I offend you guys too? Dang. Let's talk about them when they leave. Go ahead. Go quick. And then 
<laughs> it is, huh? So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? In this portion of scripture in Luke, it's followed up. Remember that story, where Je- or that story, but Jesus said, when, when people do what I say, when they hear what I say and do it, they're like the man who built his house upon the rock. And then when the storms came and beat against it, the house stood. Remember that? But the people who hear my words and then don't do it are like the people who build their house on the sand. And then when the storms comes, it is washed away. All right. It's a continuous walk. This, this walk with Christ is not something that's meant to be something that, that passes or it's just a momentary thing. It's supposed to be something that grows and is continuous, something that develops over a lifetime. How many of you have known a Christian who maybe they've only been a Christian for a short time, but they seem like they're very mature and really know Christ? We've all known that, right? And then you see other people, it's as if they've, they've known Christ forever, but they still aren't very mature. How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens because people get to a point of comfort and then they, they don't intentionally grow their faith any longer. Or it's like this. I, I know this guy from high school. We were really tight for like two years, two years. Then I went away to college and he stayed home and, and did junior college. And when we would come home, he came and visited me a couple times. And then when I'd come home for weekends, we would hang out. But it started to just not be the same. You know how that goes, right? nothing personal. It just, it's like we grew apart. And then years later, like when I came home and I was youth pastor in my home church, he happened to be back in town. And, uh, you know, we tried to hang out, but it's almost like we didn't even know each other. It was weird. And then, and then about five years later, I got a phone call and, and, um, he, he wanted me to, to give him a reference for a job. And, you know, I did that. And then, um, we ran into each other again and he said something really interesting. He said, we've been friends for, you know, 15 years, but I feel like I don't even know you. And, and, and I thought about it and I felt guilty about it. I thought, well, man, maybe I didn't do enough. Maybe I didn't this, this, this. And it really dawned on me. Actually, that's not true. We haven't been 15 years for our friends for 15 years. You know what it was? We were friends 15 years ago. See the difference? We weren't really friends for 15 years because real friends would have talked. We would have hung out. We'd have done stuff. We would have made it happen. We would have sacrificed whatever it took to, to do things together, but that never happened. We weren't really friends for 15 years. It's not as if we had 15 years worth of memories and experiences and discussions and time spent together. And I think that's that way a lot of times for Christians. You may have been in church for 15 years, but you, weren't really, you didn't really have a continuous growing relationship with Christ for 15 years. Look at this then. So then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. That's a heavy statement. Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I have something that didn't make it on the screen, but I want to talk to you about this. And that is that lordship really begins in the heart. When when you submit to Christ, it's not really about just following a bunch of rules. It's not. It's not like that at all. And I think I mentioned, you know, a while ago, St. Augustine is famous for saying, love God and then do whatever you want. Some people look at that and they think, oh, I get to do whatever I want. Okay. You don't get it. That's not what he was saying at all. What he was saying is if you love God, then do whatever you want. And what you want to do will only be things that are pleasing to God. 
I mean, put it in terms of your husband and wife. If you love your wife, yeah, do whatever you want. Because the only things you would want to do would be things that would please her and be, be faithful to her, right? So yeah, love God and then do whatever you want. That, this, this idea of being with him is not about rules. And I hear that a lot from people, you know, they, oh, you, remember, remember that's how it used to be. We say, yeah, we don't smoke, don't chew and go with girls who do, right? That's not it. I, mean, I remember even as a kid, people say, really, what church do you go to? What do you, what do you guys, what do you believe? Well, we don't do this and we don't do, that's, that's how we defined it. That's not it. Unfortunately, we didn't get it. Now, I hadn't experienced that continuous flow of life with Christ and being part of the kingdom. Now it would be so different. I, man, so often I wish I could go back and say, you need to know him. You, know, you need to know the freedom of being in Christ and your sins forgiven. You need, you need to know the comfort of having someone with you at all times through anything who will walk with you through the darkest valley and be with you on the, on the highest hilltop. Someone who would, who would accompany you through the cares and joys of all life. Do you want to know that person? Let me show you how it is. Let me show you what a life is without the shackles of selfishness and and self-gratification. Let me show you that. There's a beauty in that and a freedom in that which you've got to experience. Why wouldn't they want to? It would be amazing. When you think about it like that, um, in fact, 1 Peter 3.15 is the verse I was going to show you for that, but it says, it says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. Let's think about this for a few minutes. If, if um, Nick, if you could come up right now, I want to think about this for just a minute. When we talk about his lordship, I wonder, are all of our relationships under his lordship? I think of it like this. I saw, I saw this skit years ago. And if you can just imagine this with me, I'm not going to try to act it out, but imagine it's like this. Imagine you live in an apartment, right? It's just you. And you've got this apartment. And you've got rooms in the apartment. Maybe you don't go in all the time, but, but it's more room than you need. But so you've got stuff stuffed everywhere. Maybe you've got your records someplace, your albums, your CDs, your 8-tracks, whatever it is. You know, you pick your, your era. Thank you. Maybe some posters on the wall. I love doing this when I was a youth pastor. I visit somebody's house. First thing I say, hey, let me see your room. You can tell right away to look on their face. They're like, uh, just a minute. <laughs> and you go in there and you see these little chunks of paper on the wall. And you know, I always look behind the door. That's where they always hid the one. But imagine, imagine you were going to meet Jesus. And you were going to meet him someplace and it was all cool. So you left your house thinking it was no big deal. But just as you open your door, Oh, he's right there. And he says, why don't we hang out at your house for a minute before we go? And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh man, is the laundry put away? Are the dishes done? Uh, And you're just telling him, all right, well, let's just don't look around a whole lot. Right? Would you say that to him? But, But I'm not really talking about your apartment. I'm talking about your heart. So then as he walks in, you know, what does he see first? I know what I do. I, I, I just survey a house and think about, you know, how it's decorated. And, you know, I, I enjoy that and just, just see how it's done. And, you know, maybe he makes a comment about that. I mean, how is your heart decorated? You know, what's on display? What pictures are highlighted? You know, where's the TV set? You know, you could tell right away if people eat dinner at a table or, 
you know, around the, around the coffee table. I mean, you know, those, just those things that, that you can tell. And then let's imagine that what he does is, as he walks in, he just doesn't, he's not one of those polite guests that just stays where you want him to stay, but he just keep, kind of keeps looking around. You know how people are sometimes. And he starts going for a closet and you're thinking, oh, wait, wait, not, not that one. It's, it's kind of dirty in there. And he's like, I don't mind. And he just starts peeking in. And there's places of our heart where maybe it's just not all his lordship yet. It should be. And you want it to be, but it's not quite there yet. Maybe, maybe one of those areas you don't want him to look at is the area of relationships. Maybe some relationships, maybe somebody at work, maybe, I don't know, but somebody that's not, it's not where it should be. What about your finances? You know, Nick led that last song. That song was amazing, Nick, for hitting all those things. Talking about, I give you my all, I give you all my money. What about your time? Is that something that's submitted to his lordship? Or maybe you've got some areas of your life that you say, look, I can't, I can't do all of this. I can't volunteer here because I'm, I'm busy. I've got this. How about some fears? Could it be that Jesus would look into one of those dark areas, maybe a dark room in your heart and, and just look at you and say, you don't have to worry about that. Maybe your kids, have you given them over to him totally? Maybe your leisure activities. Maybe it is at TV or movie choices or, in fact, I put this on here just as a resource for you. I, one thing that, that Nicole and I use a lot, especially with our children, is this website, pluggedin.com. It's a um, focus on the family website. What, what we love about it, almost every movie you can imagine, especially, in, especially as movies are coming out, they'll give you an overview of the movie. They'll, they'll touch on some of the positive elements of the movie, spiritual content. You, you often don't think about spiritual content going to a movie, but it, it'll really be specific about that. Sexual content, violent content, crude or profane language. Actually, they'll tell you what words and how many. Drug and alcohol content, other negative elements, and then give you kind of a conclusion. I bring that up just because if we're serious about his lordship, then we should take advantage of every tool at our disposal to make sure that we protect ourselves and you don't get caught in a situation where you think, oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Would you, would you shut your eyes with me for a minute? Maybe stand up on your feet. One last thought for you as you are, uh, before we spend some time in prayer and, and worship. I, with your eyes closed, I just want to think about this for a minute. I, um, a couple years ago, started having nerve pain down my leg, and it was the weirdest thing. And couldn't, uh, at first I just kind of ignored it, thought I needed to stretch more. I didn't know what it was. After a while, it got to be so annoying, I couldn't stand for you know, I mean, at the end of a day, I would just be in a lot of pain. I couldn't figure out what it was. Finally went to the doctor and he said, um, well, you have a lower lumbar stenosis. What's happening is where your nerves come out of your spine, they're getting compressed. It's blocked. So the messages are getting interrupted and not going correctly. And um, I think about this in this lordship area. You know, we talked about the benefits and blessings of being part of the kingdom, but I have to be honest, if there are areas of our lives which we are not given fully up to him, then it works much the same way as those nerve endings, you know? 
it's, it's blocking what he would like to do for you as part of his kingdom. But literally, you're, you're keeping him from blessing you in areas. And maybe it is those relationship areas or family. What about your dreams? Have you given those to him? Are there things that, that maybe you've had on your heart and mind and you just don't want him to have authority in that? I mean, that's just, that's kind of my thing, God. With your eyes closed for just a minute, I want us to take a moment as a group and just, let's be honest with him for a second. Just ask him in your own words, just honestly. Father, come in my heart. Look anywhere you want. Open any door. Look under any shelf, under any bed.